Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to be on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Lots of great guests on Now You Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from down in the Florida Keys, my guest is a songwriter and an internationally renowned guitarist who performs regularly, and his music has been heard on radio, TV, and in films worldwide. His albums have crossed different genres, from Latin jazz to funk and blues to hillbilly flamenco. He is also the director of a not-for-profit organization created to help young artists through grants and workshops. You have been hearing one of his songs entitled The Bun. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, David Fader. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> David, nice nice to, I'll say, meet you in, in air quotes. I'm glad to have you on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad we made this connection. Absolutely. Well, the first order of business is to have you tell the listeners all about the song that was just playing, The Bun. Okay, well, The Bun is uh, pure hillbilly flamenco, and I'll explain that. Um, I always played fingerstyle guitar. I grew up as a guitarist and a saxophone player, and when I decided that guitar was going to be my in- instrument, I studied a lot of uh, Andre Segovia and Leo Kotke and everybody I could find that that was able to play by themselves because uh, it was hard to find people to play with. And uh, when you're in school and traveling and with a family that traveled a lot, it's, it's good to be able to entertain yourself. So <laughs> uh, uh, one day I was in uh, New York City doing a gig and I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's an actual flamenco guitar player. He wanted to learn how to play blues. So I was showing him some blues stuff and uh he showed me some flamenco stuff. He goes, well, tell me what you know already. And I showed him, he goes, oh, you play like a hillbilly. And I said, well, <laughs> I said I'll, I'll take that. So, uh, but this song, when my wife was pregnant with our son, Nyan, who's in his 20s now, um, I would write little songs just to play for the belly. And uh, one of them was this song called The Bun. And it actually evolved into a uh, pretty eclectic uh, song that we play with various bands now. It's... Uh, it's done in dadgad, which is a tuning that I had just recently discovered for myself hmm. back then. And um, it's funny, because of that song, I've, I've ended up becoming friends with, uh, with other uh, fingerstyle guitar players. One is a Pierre Ben Suzanne, who's known for his dadgad stuff. And, and uh, I don't play in that style very much anymore, in that tuning very much anymore. But, uh, but that song evolved kind of as an exploration of of fingerstyle guitar playing kind of hillbilly feel using flamenco techniques, if that makes any sense. That's fascinating. And, and I, and I also love the idea that you said that, that you were, uh, playing to or writing to the belly 
and and thus uh, <laughs> you can connect the dots in, in terms of the bun. So that's yeah, that's he's a, the bun. He's the bun in the oven. We called him. In fact, we still he's almost twenty one, and in our family, he's still known as the bun. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It's, it's a cute story, though. I, I I like it. It's a it's a good way to start off the show. I'm I'm trying to think over the show's first one hundred plus episodes if we've had. Any other guests on who are musicians, meaning someone who's known for the instrument they play and not for singing, possibly possibly episode 57 with Ron Modell, who was a trumpeter, although now retired. Anyhow, David, you're known for your guitar playing. You just mentioned saxophone, and at age five, you began learning both piano and guitar. So was there something specific you recall that pointed you toward just guitar instead of the piano, or, or I guess now yeah, with this new information was, instead of sax? Well, sax was my instrument in college because I went to a school, one of my many colleges, <laughs> was, uh, was I hung out at colleges. Um, was, uh, they had a jazz program and a classical guitar program, and the classical guitar program didn't have uh, um, really room for, they didn't have the facility for what I wanted to learn on the guitar. I took classical guitar because I kind of had to, and it was fun, and we had amazing teachers in Buffalo, a guy named Jim Pierkowski, who's still there, who's a fabulous guitar player, performer, and an even better teacher, and a great guy. He taught me a lot about uh, just performing and, and how to interpret music on the guitar, even though I didn't spend that much time with him, but I needed an instrument to play in the jazz band, and I, I saxophone is a very easy instrument to pick up initially because there's buttons, you know, there's only one button per note, pretty much, so it's not like guitar, which is very there's a million places you can play the same thing. And people make fun of guitar players saying, oh, just put music in front of them. But really, there's so many choices when you put music in front of a guitar player that it's a daunting experience. I did start with piano lessons. Everybody in my family did because back in those days in the 50s, you know, you're supposed to give your kids music lessons. But I believe my parents were terrified and horrified when after engineering school, I became a musician. <laughs> it's like, no, we didn't mean for you to take it seriously. Uh, but um, as far as guitar goes, there was a, definitely a point in my life, and this is another kind of interesting story. I, I'd always played guitar. I I was into, like I said, Leo Kotke and Andre Segovia, and I really want and I, I loved it. But I, when I was performing with bands and things, it was more saxophone, just because it, it was easier to carry around and stuff. And piano uh, was really hard to carry around. I still play piano. I compose on piano. We I have a hobby of restoring you know, 100-year-old baby grands and uprights. Mm. And if you saw my living room, you can't walk through the living room because we have rescued pianos taking up the whole wow. living room wow. and half the studio. And it's it's back-breaking work. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a great piano player, but I, I enjoy the technology of the instrument and stuff. But guitar is easy to carry around. You could I strapped one to my motorcycle. But when I came to the Keys, I figured if I was going to play music down here, it would probably be sax. But a friend of mine who... Uh, a, a really great musician named Robert. Uh, he's actually changed his name to Sax, Robert Sax. He's a great teacher. But he um, he offered to take my horns up to Miami, which is a, quite a hike from where I live, to get the pads done. He said, well, if you're going to play sax, you should get the pads redone. That day, he didn't have his coffee, and he backed over three saxophones, oh two of which gosh. were mine. Yeah, he completely destroyed them. One oh was an irreplaceable gosh. Italian sax. And um, wow. and he brought them back to me. And at the time, you know, uh, I was pretty pragmatic about it. He showed them to me. He was in tears. He said, I'm so sorry. You're going to hate me forever. I said, hmm. well, 
I guess I'll be a guitar player. <laughs> so, so problem I, I solved. Really, problem solved. Yeah, problem solved. <laughs> and I, I, the next time I picked up a saxophone was when I showed my son how to play on an old alto, and now he's a sax major up at FSU. So, you know, somebody's playing sax in our family. Interesting. Wow. And and I liked I liked the the reference to. Uh, uh, you walk through the living room and, and there's you, you do you have piano rescue. I, I was waiting because it, it made me think um, way back on episode 33, Sarah Donner. She's a singer songwriter from up in New Jersey, and uh, she does cat rescue and um, posts more online about the cats that she's rescuing than she does about her music. And um, you know when 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 you mentioned about Rochester uh, again, similar story in, in episode 103. Um, Ned Ginsburg, he's a composer and arranger up in New York City, and uh, mentioned that he went. Uh, this is a guy who we talked about his his college years and, and the like, and it made me think of it because you you mentioned um, you know hanging out at colleges, and and Ned was in places like Jerusalem and Paris and Los Angeles, and then he said Rochester, and just to, for the record, I said Rochester, Minnesota, or Rochester, New York, and he said. Rochester, New York, and I thought, well, gosh, how does a place like Rochester, New York, fit into a sentence alongside Jerusalem and Paris and even LA, for that matter? And then, lo and behold, one week later, Matt Sherrod comes on the program, who's the drummer for Crowded House, and Matt Sherrod says that he went to the Dick Grove School of Music in Los Angeles, and I said, I got to interrupt you because the guest last week went there too, and it was just fascinating because this is a school that's that's long since closed, um, so it's just. Uh, ironies all, all over the place. Um, the interesting thing is me, the music world, like a lot of other worlds, uh, I was just meeting with a with a, an arranger the other day um, who arranges on Broadway's very well-known guy. And uh, we met him down here on the island. It turns out he's friends of friends of ours from the, from the Buffalo area mm. who I met down here after knowing them in Buffalo 30 years ago. And, wow. and, and the whole, it's funny, the, you would think the, I have to tell you though, Western New York produces a lot of amazing artists and uh, uh, the Rochester, the Syracuse, Buffalo, Fredonia, um, they're, they're more friendly to muse, to uh, musicians than most places. The Florida Keys is like that too, very friendly to musicians. But something you mentioned a minute ago, which is really kind of close to my heart, you mentioned a woman who uh, rescues homeless cats. Yes, Sarah Donner. Right. And God bless her because we... We donate a lot of time and money to different charities down here, and one of them is uh, Wolfstock and, and uh, Pet Rescue Services. And the thing that you can do through music, and what I discovered at a very young age, I was probably 11 when I discovered this, when I did my first little television show playing something for somewhere on PBS in Williamsville, like it's for old hmm. home days or something, is that, is that <laughs> with music, no matter what style of music it is, you can get people's attention to refocus them on other things that are important, like charities and, and uh, helping people who need it and animals, et cetera, environmental issues. And, and that's the thing that I think has kept me in the service area of music for so long. I like that. That's a, that's a great perspective and, and really well said. It's it's important to raise that. And everyone knows we've talked in the show before about the healing qualities, the healing uh, aspects of music, but but you're right. That that's a whole entirely different spin. What, what you're saying there, and and probably something that, uh, like unfortunately, some of the arts or even some nonprofit programs uh, do get 
uh, underrated, um, overlooked, that that type of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that out. So get this, listeners. David, you started writing and playing your own songs at age nine. Yeah, probably before that. But um, we so so before I moved to the Western New York area, my dad was working for a company in uh, in Dubois, Pennsylvania, and we had an old church piano we got for like 50 bucks or something. I think it cost more to move it to the house. And, and I, 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 I still am not a very social person. People think I am, but I really would rather stay home most of the time unless I'm performing. And, uh, and I would sit at home on the piano and not play my lesson, whatever that was, but I would make up songs. And these songs were strictly for me. They weren't for anybody else, but, but my parents would record them on a little reel to reel. And, uh, and and it's funny because this and I and I must have heard this somewhere at some point, but you know, when I play, when I perform, I, I through compose, I I I compose on a spot, even though I write my songs and there's basic form to all of them, people can recognize them when I play them. They're never the same way twice. I don't believe in covering my own material, so to speak. Hmm. Uh probably why I'm not a classical guitar player or or the like or why I don't play pop music. But when I was a kid I did the same thing and those same melodies from wherever they came from, you know, uh, nursery rhymes or my grandfather singing or, or old, you know, uh, you know, religious melodies or whatever it might be, whatever they became in my head are still coming out in similar ways than they did when I was a child. It's that the only thing that's different is now I have a broader perspective and better problem solving tools on how to make those things that pop into my head, come out and almost channel them better. And, uh, when I'm sensitive to an audience and when I, and when the situation is, is a, a good venue for me, like a good venue for me is a listening venue, not a bar or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of small one-off shows, uh, especially when I was in Europe, I did a lot more of those and, and in Mexico and stuff, the audiences are slightly different than, although we're getting more of that stuff now, but it's almost like being able to sit in your living room with people just kind of, you know, paying attention, but not so paying attention. And you sneak in these things that are part of our collective unconscious and, and, almost archetypical things that you hear when you're growing up in whatever that environment I was. And then, but as an adult, as I get older and older and have more experience and more problem solving abilities, technical problems on the instrument, I'm able to express those things better. It's almost like having all of a sudden when you're three or 11, you have this particular set of uh, syntactic skills and vocabulary. But as you're older, you can maybe draw that line a little finer and be more specific about those things and you can actually and that's what I love about growing older as a musician yeah it's the same exact thing that I was trying to play when I was a kid I haven't really changed my songs much but they've been flavored by you know influences but uh, they're the same songs yeah you're going to be you're going to be limited when you're 3 or whether you know you're 11 years old you're going to be limited by by the little bit of experience that you've had the lack of experience and so like you say all of a sudden as an adult and say well it's essentially the same song but I have a whole lot more experience to draw from now you know to as and as, language language skills is what it is too you know it's it's funny because being empathetic I think uh I think a lot of performers that I see that what attracts me to other performers performers that I, I don't know, want to say try to emulate, but maybe, you know, try to, um, to, uh, to experience more the performers that can f- feel where they are, are really honest about who they are and play from that place. Like I, it doesn't bother me 
if I hear mistakes. It doesn't bother me if somebody's not as technically proficient or if I'm not. It doesn't what bothers me about people is when they're being dishonest and they're not or not dishonest, but you know what I mean, when they're not fully open to what's happening at the moment. You know, sometimes you fall off your world and you get back on and but as long as the audience falls off with you and can laugh about <laughs> it, I love that. You know, I and it's it's just like sitting around the campfire and everybody trying to sing an old folk song. Like we we figure it out and it's fun and it's human and I love that, you know. Uh it, it attracts me, the humanness of it attracts me and I think um I think it keeps people kind of bonded. Um the audience needs to know that that wow, you know, I can do that or you know, um Nobody's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it humanizes you because, you know, you're up on stage and they're all sitting there expecting perfection and, oh, I could never do that. This person's in a whole different place from me. And all of a sudden, you know, one little something goes wrong and it's, hey, we're all in this together. Come on, let's have a laugh and, and I'll just move on and, and we'll, we'll keep yeah. playing and we'll keep having a good time. Or it changes the conversation like there's It's not necessarily a tightrope. It's just a cobblestone path or, or maybe not even cobblestone. And like sometimes you'll take a wrong turn. And I, I admit totally, if I'm totally into a song, sometimes I don't remember what song I'm playing. I'm just in the moment <laughs> and I found something beautiful. And if there's something beautiful there that's maybe more beautiful than what I may have intended, I'm going to follow that particular beauty wherever it goes. And it might not come back to the song I was playing, but it'll still be beautiful because I'm following it. And, you it's, know? and it's further testimony to why you will never play the same song the same way twice because you just yeah. had to be there in that moment. <laughs> Attention deficit. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, I, I do like that you said a couple minutes ago about a listening room uh, environment because, you know, I've, I've noticed myself that, that I'm partial. For instance, one particular client of mine, when, when she and I go to songwriters festivals and she plays, you know, we, we very much prefer when they put her in a listening room as opposed to, like you say, someplace where you're competing against, uh, you know, sports on television or glasses clanking or, or what have you. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear it from your perspective because when people think of the Florida Keys, everybody wants to go somewhere where there's someone performing music that makes them think of Jimmy Buffett. And so it's refreshing to hear that, guess what? There are people out there in the Keys that are not only doing music that's not Jimmy Buffett, they're doing instrumental music and they're doing it in a listening room environment and not right. at some touristy place that's overrun with you know yelling and music and TV all clashing together. Right. And so, and that's an amazing, it's amazing that you mentioned that because there's some multifaceted response to that. When I moved down here, I was a little dismayed that, you know, in order to, to play, you had to either have a blues band or a Jimmy Buffett band, preferably a Jimmy Buffett band. And, and it was a little, you know, like, okay, well, whatever, then I just won't play or I'll start a blues band, which I did. I had blues band for a while. But as I um, <laughs> grew up and stuff and learned more about the industry, I realized, and this is a partially it was reconfirmed by my buddy Derek Sievers who you probably know him CD baby guy and but uh who who said something once he's or maybe it wasn't him maybe it was Bob Baker one of these guys who's one of these musicians uh you know cheerleader guys said you know you can create your own niche and and I already had my own niche but I wasn't uh confident enough to to actually do it here I did it other places I did it in saw you know um, uh, acoustic guitar festivals and things, but I decided I would do it where I lived. You know, um, like nothing good can come from Naz Nazareth, right? So I, <laughs> I took a couple of these rooms where they didn't have music and venues, beach things on days when they didn't have music. And I said, I just want to do my thing. And they said, okay. So I made them a deal. I gave them a good price and I came and I did my 
instrumental music. And sometimes people would come and ask for a Jimmy Buffett song. And I say, okay, this is the way I would have played this Jimmy Buffett mm-hmm. song. And there might be a, a mention of, of the melody in there somewhere, but it's really not that. So fast forward, I've created a niche for myself down here. And now we invite, or my company invites other songwriters down here and we put them in that niche. But, but the, and I should say, I was playing a birthday party with a band that I put together for uh, the birthday of Carl Hyacin, who's a guitar student of mine. And he's a pretty famous Florida author, wrote a lot of interesting books and amazing guy. And his best friend is Jimmy Buffett. Mm. Jimmy Buffett was in the audience and decided he wanted to play. <laughs> and we brought a guitar for him just in case. And, and we all left the stage and he looks and he says, why aren't you guys going to play? Well, we heard wow. that you don't like to play with bands and he says, no, 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 you guys are great. I said, okay. So, so he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, and I had met him before, you know, he says, mm-hmm. he says, Dave, so we're going to play volcano. You got it. And I look at him and I go, it's a Buffett song. <laughs> you know, we have to know it. We live in the keys, right? So, so, so it's funny cause I have a jazz band, but everybody in that band who are heavy duty players, including my son and, and, and uh, a bunch of other guys, knew every horn line to the song. But what's mm. really funny is Jimmy, knowing that he was with a band that he didn't have to worry about mm. and that were improvisers, he completely twisted the crap out of the song wow. and made it a roast of his friend Carl <laughs> and and segued into this, that, and the other thing. And he was spontaneous and improvisational. And I have to say that for all the stuff people say about, you know, commercial music and, and the parrot heads and stuff, he was one of the best band leaders I ever no kidding. Uh, experienced. No and he kidding. was gracious and kind and a real down-to-earth amazing guy. And afterwards... The band who had been playing, you know, funk and blues and my stuff, you know, the Latin of Hillbilly Flamenco stuff the whole night was invigorated and exhilarated. And 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 I have to say it was a it was an eye opening, positive experience. Now, do I want to play Jimmy Buffett music? No. But sure. But on the other hand, I respect why people love that stuff. You know, because it's kind of, you know, you get drunk and you feel good and that's what it's about. (laughs) And so that so that was an interesting experience. (laughs) But down here, it's it is true that people now in the Keys, when they come to one of my gigs, if they're my regular kind of uh, fan base, they don't expect that. But once in a while, we'll get somebody say, well, which Jimmy Buffett songs do you play? Like Mm -hmm. if they're hiring me for a gig or something, I'll say, you know, if you really want a Jimmy Buffett song, I, I would be happy to do an instrumental of it for you. Because um, I do weddings and things too, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and corporate events. I said, but if you really want someone who does great Jimmy Buffett covers and his own originals, which are similar to Jimmy Buffett, there are ten guys that I can recommend who will just be you'll be so much happier with, and they're te- a tenth of my price. Mm. Well, <laughs> so, God bless you. God bless you for you know for for not succumbing to the almighty dollar and and saying, oh, I do I do these five songs, you know, and, and all of a sudden yeah, stepping up no. from who you truly are. So that's that's admirable. I, I can't I can't do that, you know. I I run a jam and sometimes it makes you want to slit your wrist. Uh, but, but at the jam, I always encourage the musicians to play things they don't know. Um, like, you know, when people come up and ask for covers, I say, well, this is a jam. It's about the musicians. It's what they want to play. And if they really want to play that cover, then they may. But why don't you sit back and hear something you've never heard before? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love you it. You know, make love make it. it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I liked your your description of you know your initial reaction when you came down there because I I mentioned in the intro that the music that you've put out has spanned multiple genres and and I I was curious to to ask you how or why 
those releases unfolded that way. And instead of just putting yourself exclusively into one category from, from album number one onward and, 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 and your answer, I'm, I'm anxious to hear it because this could be helpful to hear for the listeners who are up and coming musicians themselves. I think that, I think that that's a great question. I think the answer, and I'll try to be concise about it, is a matter of being, I want to say the word courageous, but I don't feel courageous, but it's about being honest. And so I had this blues band and I didn't know anything about the blues, but I knew how to play bebop jazz, um, kind of from playing saxophone. I hadn't played it on guitar, but it's, you know, easy enough to teach yourself where the notes are. And I started this band because I didn't want to start a island music band, but I wanted to work. So I started this blues band and we would sneak in Miles Davis, John Coltrane. And after a while, it got to the point where people liked my band so much that I could play whatever I wanted. And so it, I started to love the blues. I started to love funk. I started to love uh, guys like Albert King and Stevie Ray and, you know, all that stuff that people like, you know, just because it's visceral and people dance to it. And uh, and it was I was trying to be not authentic, but but. Uh, happy in that. And I was happy in it. But I had the opportunity to produce my first record with a great producer named Robin Fear, who's also a great songwriter up in uh, Fort Lauderdale, a beautiful, wonderful person who encouraged me. She says, you should do the music that you want to do on this album. Mm. And I, and it was all the money I had. It was like 10 grand. And I said, oh my God, this is so much money. And, you know, we're I, I don't know what I'm going to, you know, it was really a horrible thing for me to think about. And I said, fine. And I had all these, you know, uh, Latin flavored songs that I had written, which were on Waiting for Sarah album. And we did this album and I invited not the people that played in my blues band, but these people that I had admired from around town. And I might have used them once or twice in things, but I knew them through other people. Most of, most of them didn't speak English. And... um they were authentic. Uh, they were from Costa Rica, Colombia, here and there, a lot of them. And I, and, or they were people that just, we loved them as friends and they figured out how to do the music. And so it was, it was Latin, but it was kind of light, kind of, uh, um, uh, vanillified so that <laughs> I could handle it and so that they could handle it. I mean, I didn't, it was, there was the limit of my capabilities at the time on something that I loved, but I was, you know, my language skills were, were, so I put this album out. And everybody was waiting for this album, all of our fans. And the album came out and people, it was like the garden party, right? It was like when, when that happened, remember the garden party story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so people said, so what the heck is this supposed to be? And, and people <laughs> were giving me all kinds of shit about this album. They said, well, where's all the blues and stuff that we expected? And I said, well, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do this. And Robin was so nice. She goes, don't worry, honey, this will be this will be a, a, you know, it'll be fine. I was in Vancouver actually at the time when it came out and uh, I came home and we had a thousand of these CDs that had just arrived from Eastern Standard Productions. And I was so scared that we weren't going to sell one (laughs) and they were gone in two months. Amazing. And we've sold about uh, 19,000 of them. Wonderful. They, They basically made all my uh, mortgage payments for the first, I don't know, six years that we had this house. So, so all the people that ended up not wanting that album when it came out ended up buying lots of them. And, and I developed this new fan base. So fast forward to my next album, I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a blues album because I have all these blues and funk songs that, you know, some of them were, were mm. really old, just kind of funny songs that I had written. There's a song called The Poison Pillow that I wrote about, um, you know, barmaids and things. And I write a lot of songs about like what, I, what you see from the bandstand in a bar. And 
In fact, there's a new song out. If you check the Reverb Nation site called uh, uh, Black is the Color of the Wind, which is about a fantasy that a guy has about a girl in a bar. And it, but it's 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 kind of dark, but it's it's kind of where I was at at the time. And so I still and actually I still write that kind of stuff, but I don't perform it as much as I just put it out there for, uh, you know, for licensing and stuff. Um, so anyway, I wrote it because they're filming Bloodline down here and I was hoping they pick it up, which they haven't. <laughs> whatever. But so so this blues album comes out and it's kind of funky, funny, you know, blues album called The Reason Why. And on the album, there's a picture of me playing one of Jimi Hendrix's guitars because I was uh, helping produce a, a, an album with Buddy Miles at the time for somebody else. And so this album comes out and all the same people that were pissed off that I did a Latin album called up and were pissed off that I didn't do another <laughs> Latin album. And so it was at that time when I finally realized I had this discussion with the people that I was working with. And they said, Dave, you know what? They're not going to love you in the beginning, but then they'll love you. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, well, I'm not. And I was, I was really heartbroken that these same people, but now they love. Ten years later, I could finally listen to that <laughs> album. And, and I say, okay, yeah, it's okay. It's a good album. And my son was actually on that album when he was four doing some, uh, some talking parts. Hmm. And so the album after that was this more flamenco because I had some more technique and my writing skills had improved and that's when Black Emerald came out and Black Emerald we actually on NPR had uh, we were on that uh, what do you call that that uh, all songs considered and it won uh, a contest on one of those internet uh, things as the number one um, world music album for a wow, while. Wow. I don't think it's anything real. Like it's just it's one of those things where you're number one on your block or whatever. I don't know what it was but <laughs> but it was it was what was great about the Black Emerald album is a lot of the music got licensed for uh, something got licensed off the uh, the Reason Why album for like All My Children or something. And that was really cool. But but a lot of stuff happened with this Black Emerald album. And I had players on it from Gloria Estefan's band. I had players mm -hmm. on it from Kid Creole and the Coconuts. I had all these people that wanted to play on this album because they liked the music because they liked the other album, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I was so happy that these people actually, I mean, I was thrilled that these people who I, I felt intimidated to play with on stage wanted to play on my record. I'm like, oh my God. So, uh, so it was very overproduced, you know, because I had just gotten my, <laughs> my Pro Tools rig and I said, I can do this and I can do this. You know, new producers always end up putting too much crap in their records. But, but that album also has had a very long shelf life. That one and my first album have had the longest shelf lives and they still... They still do quite well and they um, they have their audiences. And I, I have since been able to figure out how to play all of those things as a solo guitarist, which uh, still presents challenges to me and problem-solving things. And uh, uh, and then the next album I did was one with my son. It was an album of songs that we did for a live performance uh, tour that we had done. And it's called Serenade. And it was basically just live in the studio with no overdubs. A bunch of uh, um, they're all I don't do covers, but it was all uh, original finger style stuff. And that's mm -hmm. the Serenade album. And that was when my son was first kind of getting good at finger style guitar. And I said, well, we're going to do an album together. And he says, OK, Dad. <laughs> and he's just so agreeable to everything. And <laughs> and uh, and at the time he started having suggestions about what he thought would sound good. Wow. And now fast forward, he's 20 years old and he's an amazing composer, arranger, music director for four different bands, you know? Wow, and wow. so, so I'm so lucky that he grew up listening to stuff that I didn't notice and, uh, and has a sense about it that I never had going to engineering school. You know, he, he, he's, uh, 
you know, this is the bun who now <laughs> says, dad, 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 when you go to this part, try going to here because it's really good. I said, well, I, I can't do that. He goes, well, go home and practice that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's good great. Stuff. I mean, good stuff. Yeah, well, it's amazing when the kids start being, when the, when the students and the, the kids start being the teachers and how? Because, because they're in contact with what's going on now, you know, and it's, uh, I, you know, I says, who, I say, who should I be listening to now? He says, dad, listen to Chris Potter, listen to Adam Rogers, listen to all these guys that I would have never listened to. Mm-hmm. He's got mm-hmm. me transcribing, um, Michael Brecker stuff. And, uh, and it's so edifying, you know, amazing. To, to it. Yeah. It's amazing. Great. Okay. Now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on now hear this entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of now hear this incorporated giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is give close consideration to the content of your videos. Just yesterday, someone I know missed out on a booking because the host didn't feel that what they saw online showed what they were looking for. If you move around on stage, don't post a video of you sitting down. If you only post videos of ballads, don't be surprised when venues say, Sorry, we need someone who can do upbeat music. If you only post videos of you sitting in your bedroom, don't expect venues to assume that you are performing out regularly. Post what most accurately depicts you. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1 and a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 2 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40 and 41 to 80, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from down in the Florida Keys is songwriter and guitarist David Fader. Visit his official website at www.davidfader.com. His last name is spelled F-E-D-E-R. But if you are driving or out for a run or working out at the gym and can't write that down, remember that you can look at the title of this episode on your listening device to get the proper spelling of his last name. David is also on Facebook and YouTube and Reverb Nation, so find and connect with him on those sites. His music is available for purchase on iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon, all the usual suspects. And of course, do consult his website to see where and when you can see David perform live. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nhte.net, as in Now Hear This Entertainment, nhte.net. For every episode of this show, We've got on NHTE.net the full audio plus the guest's photo, a link to their website, and quotes from the guest on each show. Sign up for the e-newsletter at NHTE.net and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free, and it makes it so easy to get the show every week on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or by following on SoundCloud. Go ahead and use the social media buttons on NHTE.net to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and to follow on Twitter and or Instagram. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you very much. And please do check out some of the prior episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. We've had a lot of great guests along the way so far. I mentioned just a few of them. Matt Sherrod, uh, Ron Modell, 
Ned Ginsburg. Uh, and as always, many thanks, of course, to those who are not first-time listeners. I very much appreciate your time and your interest and support. So, David, we've covered a good deal of your past, but what what is happening now? I'm I'm thinking specifically of the live composing you do at shows. So, uh, um, right now, actually, a couple of years ago, I, I happened across a. How do I say that? Okay, so so I'm always looking for ways to stretch. They say when. Okay, so I'm sitting. This is hard to talk about. I was in a I was in the studio with uh, Pierre Ben Susan a while ago, and he's I don't know if you know who this guy is. He's an amazing Algerian, French Algerian fingerstyle guitar player, and we book him. My company books him every once in a while down here, and once in a while I get a chance to sit and uh, hang out with him in the studio while he's practicing. But he doesn't practice, and he said. He says, well, I want to go in and use your studio for a while. I said, yeah, go for it. I said, you're going to do some practicing. He goes, I don't really do that. I said, oh, I practice all the time. He said, well, why do you practice? And I said, well, because I'm trying to. He says, well, you play like an engineer. He says, instead of building, this is years ago. He says, instead of building stuff out of all these parts you have, why don't you just play guitar and see where it goes? Mm. And I've always been afraid of doing that. I mean, I've had fear of doing that because what happens is guitarists especially fall into allowing the limitations that they have on the instrument to dictate what they play. So this is easy on the instrument. I'm in an open tuning or I'm whatever, and I know all these chords. And if you're playing stuff that's really easy for you to practice, then you're not practicing. You're not stretching mm. yourself. So, wow, I like that. Yeah, so I watched him practice for a while, and what he does is he, he throws himself out on the, a cliff's edge. Guys like Rayford Stark do this too. They throw themselves on, out on the edge of a cliff, and they figure out how to stay on that cliff for as long as possible without falling off. And if you do that in your practice routine, then when you're out on stage, you know, you are taking the audience on that cliff with you and it's more exciting because guess what? Nobody knows what's going to happen in reality. People mm -hmm. ask me as I am setting up for a gig, oh, what kind of music do you play? And I'll try to describe it to them. It's really hard. I say, well, I play, I play, you know, a variety of, of uh, music on the guitar. Oh, and then so they're thinking, you know, Led Zeppelin or whatever. And so, <laughs> or whatever, you know, and I don't mind playing Led Zeppelin, you know, as, if it's, I'm influenced by that. But so in that realm, I try to listen for things that if I hear something beautiful or if it comes into my mind, I have to f chase it. I ha and it doesn't matter if I'm practicing or anywhere else. Well, anyway, a couple of years ago or about a year and a half ago, I, I chanced to find an old, old video of a guy named Augustin Carlevaro. And he was this old man at the time. I'm sure he's dead now. And so is his uh, brother, Abel. And our, he was an architect in uh, Uruguay. And, but he, played, he was a friend of Segovia's. He played amazing music. His family you know, really didn't allow him to become a, a professional musician because he, he was the first, oldest in the family. But his brother, Abel, became a professional, very well-known guitarist. But Augustine did... Uh, uh, arrangements of Astor Piazzolla songs, mostly. And Astor Piazzolla was a great tango composer, one of the modern tango guys. And that kind of music always, I didn't really know anything about it. I don't really know anything about music as far as the genres. And people ask me, oh, you must know this. I don't know anything. People come up and ask me <laughs> things in Spanish. I get a lot of people talking to me in Spanish and Portuguese, thinking that I understand the language mm -hmm. and that I'm going to know because of the kind of music that I play. And I wow. just kind of look at them and like, Whoa. but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I heard him play this song, which was a cover of, uh, of, uh, Astor Piazzolla song called Adios Nino. And I was so 
I was so struck by it. I almost couldn't talk. Even talking about him playing the song makes me tear up because mm. it was such a beautiful performance. He was playing in his kitchen for some woman. And it's this, if you look it up on YouTube, it's a beautiful thing. In fact, I have a bookmarked on my YouTube site. You can find it there. Mm. Anyway, so I decided to transcribe it. I, uh, I, I went mental and I, and I tried to find all the music that, that he had ever produced. And I got every record of his old records wow. and I, and I transcribe it. But so I said that because you asked about through composing and spontaneous composition, what I thought he was doing at the time, and he may have been, he may have written out the arrangements, possibly he did, but whether they're written out or not, he was such a fabulously versed guitar player that if he, if his mind goes to a different harmony, he could do it. Mm. And, and that's what I strive to do. So I'll take a song. I have a board over there on the other side of my live room. And when I go into practice now, I take Pierre's advice and I take, uh, I take, I try to take that other path and I have a bunch of song forms written down and song titles. And so for example, I learn a song in E minor. The next day I'll play it in E flat minor mm. or the next day I'll play it in uh, F sharp or the next day I'll play it in C wow. and I'll try to solve problems on the guitar <laughs> so that wherever my mind goes and sometimes there's these little beautiful gems that you'll find. Well, wow, when I hit this chord and, and accidentally mess up this finger, it's beautiful, you know, and I hope it's beautiful to other people too. But regardless, I'm going to follow that where it goes. And the more and more I do that, the more... Uh, satisfied I am that life is new and different. It's like if you never travel, you don't realize how limited your perspectives are. You know, your mind is closed if you don't meet new people. So it's like meeting a new pitch or a new tone or a new chord. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. nobody's ever going to, if you live your life that way, musically and otherwise, you're never going to run out of amazing things. You're never going, I mean, because there's no way as a guitarist, as a musician, that you can ever, like people say, oh, so how did you know when you, you made it as a musician? It's like, I'll let you know, you know when I get there 20 <laughs> lifetimes from now, maybe. Yeah, yeah. well, it's there's like, no way. Yeah, it's like, it's like before when you were talking about, you know, all of a sudden discovering a new place and you're just going to go there. You're not going to go back to, well, wait a minute, but this is, this is how and where I'm supposed to be in this song. So, oh, well, yeah, I need to no abandon that. Is there's it, no supposed to. Is, is Pierre, uh, he, he, can't be, he can't be the soul. I, I, I'm wondering uh, who some of the influences are that are currently shaping well, the music. He's not as much of an influence musically as he is um, philosophically in a okay. lot of ways. Okay. You know, um, he, I do love what he does, and I discovered mm -hmm. him through just hanging out in a tuning that dad gad. Um, but I think I would have to say my current influences are... Uh, um, I would say mostly not guitarists. Um, I would say, uh, guys like, uh, uh, Sati, um, 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 Stravinsky, uh, Astor Piazzolla. Um, as far as guitar playing, maybe guys like Augustin Carlavaro, guys like Tomatito, um, uh, Paco de Lucia, of course, amazing. Andre Segovia, Pierre wow. in some ways, uh, uh, Guys like for performance aspect, there's always guys like Tommy Emmanuel who are, I look at them as great performers, you know, guys that can get up on stage and make people laugh and they're funny and they have a lot of great, he's also an amazing guitarist. Michael Hedges, who is obviously one of these guys who brought the, brought the genre to a, to a, you know, a pinnacle at the time. Um, Don Ross, fabulous uh, Canadian guitarist. 
and and there are guys that I love who are local. Um, mm. One of these guys that influenced me a lot is a guy named Frank Carmelitano. You'll never hear about him, but he's he's a local, amazing, grew up in Spain kind of jazz guitarist. Um, That's but, uh, nice to hear, was, though. You know, you don't you don't hear a lot of that. Usually, you hear people rattling off a list of who their influences are, and it's people that are anywhere but you know, say within a hundred mile radius. So so you know, compliments to to him that that he is having that that kind of impact and and actually speaking speaking of of the local activity right there away from the guitar I, I also mentioned back in the intro that you are the director of a nonprofit I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listeners all about that work okay well when i moved here it was you know 35 years ago or so I got involved in doing benefits and I've always done them at home. I told you when I was 11, I did benefits uh, on the public uh, television, you know, for things. And and I've always been involved in that. And I love how music gets intertwined with that. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but I'll I'll just kind of be brief. There was a show called Bay Jam that was uh, conceived by a woman named Judy Justice, uh, who used to live down here. The National Endowment for the Arts stopped giving money to the schools for the arts and music programs. And Mm. if you live in Florida, you know how much our uh, state government supports music, which is pretty much not at all the arts. We're more interested in prisons and things like that. And so I don't want to get political. I could really (laughs) at the drop of a hat, but I'm not going to. You can listen to my music. The stuff on Reverb Nation is all kind of funny political songs, a lot of it. Dogma (laughs) Condom is a great song to listen to. Uh, But anyway, uh, so so there was this concert. um, This started in 1995 called Beijing. And I was invited to play, unfortunately, because or fortunately or whatever, um, uh, I had skills in in staging and sound and all that kind of stuff. I ended up they ended up I ended up by default, whatever, becoming the organizer of that show. And we still do that show. Um, and a few years later, the town um, wanted to build an amphitheater and my company actually raised the money and built it for the town. Uh, and you know, so any really big event that happens in this town that needs infrastructure, staging, lights and stuff, we kind of supply. But the reason the company exists in for me, the reason I agreed to to be part of an administration of a company like that is because through Bay Jam, we've given away, you know, close to a half million dollars already to arts and music scholarships for kids that otherwise wouldn't have had it. They don't have to be in school, but it's school age kids. We buy them instruments, we music lessons, we, you know, supply the music teachers and the art teachers and the dance teachers with supplies and things like that. And We've never turned anybody down, and depending on what our budget is, through people drinking beer at our events, we <laughs> turn that money over. And every penny that people spend on beer at our events, we turn back over to the school. Last year, we gave $34,000 away, which is the most wow. we ever gave away in wow. a year. Very nice. Yeah, and it's an amazing thing. And if you're a musician out there listening, we do, uh, through our website, you can check out our events and maybe apply to play one of our events. We some of them are local events, but some of them are not so local. And we also have our fingers in a lot of the other local events. And if you want to get involved, uh, no promises, but we'll pass your name around to the people that, that do it. Fantastic. You know, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great thing to be involved in something that you believe. If you like puppies, get involved with Wolfstock. If you like children's arts and music things, get involved with Bay Jam. Um, uh, if you like, uh, 
if you like uh, the environment and the Everglades, get involved in our Jazz Fest. It supports the Everglades Foundation. If you like um, bluegrass music, get involved with that. It supports arts and music scholarships for kids who are interested in um, in Americana uh, and origin. What do they call that? Uh, indigenous American music education. Awesome. So I mean, it's a great uh, it's a great company. I'm proud to be the director. And so. Well, and if all that's not enough, you also give lessons, correct? <laughs> well, yeah, and it's funny because people I'll call me every day and say, so do you give guitar lessons? I say, yeah, but you have to have a really good sense of humor because <laughs> my touring and my performance and my schedule with ICE is so crazy that, um, uh, you know, very often we schedule things and they have to be um, changed. But most of my students are professional musicians mm-hmm. who – come once a month or so and they say, I, I want to learn how to do this mm-hmm. specific thing. Okay. Sometimes okay. I have to teach myself how to do it before I teach them. <laughs> and then I have a bunch of very little kids who I'm just trying to start them off on the right foot and make sure that music is fun. I don't hit their fingers with a ruler. And I try to make it about, I try to make it organic. We'll teach them how to read music. And we'll teach them how to count and play their instruments. But we also want them to be able to to have fun and and not think of music as something that's a, a chore. Very good, very good. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from down in the Florida Keys is songwriter and guitarist David Fader. Visit his official website at www.davidfader.com. His last name is spelled F-E-D-E-R. But if you are out walking for fitness and listening to this interview or sitting on the beach relaxing and just can't write that down, remember that you can look at the title of this episode on your listening device to get the proper spelling of his last name. David is also on Facebook, YouTube, and Reverb Nation, so find and connect with him on those sites. His music is available for purchase on iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon, all the usual locations. And of course, do consult his website to see where and when you can see David perform live. And the website for the nonprofit that he just talked about is www.keysice.com, K-E-Y-S-I-C-E keysice.com. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nhte.net, as in now hear this entertainment, nhte.net. For every episode of the show, we've got the full audio on nhte.net, plus the guest's photo, a link to their website, and quotes from the guest on each show. Sign up for the e-newsletter at nhte.net and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free and makes it very easy and convenient to get the show every week on iTunes and Stitcher Radio or by following on SoundCloud. Go ahead and use the social media buttons on nhte.net to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and to follow on Twitter and or Instagram. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you and please do check out some of the prior episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. We've had a lot of great guests along the way so far. As always, many thanks, of course, to those who are not first-time listeners. I very much appreciate your continued time and interest and support. So, David, there's a section on your website for Poisonwood Production Studios. I take it that that's yours, too. You've got one more hat that you wear, apparently. I built this studio. I used to do uh, engineering for a couple different companies and mastering and stuff, and uh, and 
when um, when I realized I didn't have time to do that anymore and I needed a place to play, I built a studio for myself. I am not the one who uses this studio most of the time now. You know, you build it and everybody finds out about it. And so <laughs> um, I'm in it sometimes and I do uh, lend it out to other, you know, trusted engineers and stuff. And it's a beautiful, it's one of the nicest places to record acoustic music. We have vintage equipment and modern equipment married in a really beautiful setting in the middle of a forest, which you don't find in the Keys very often. Yeah. I said we bought the old Harley Davidson shop, but we're in the middle of three big lots and there are poison wood trees around. So if you walk through the forest and you don't know what they are, you can get very itchy very quick. Uh-oh. Um, I wanted to say something else. I don't know if we have time, but um, a lot of people do call for lessons and people ask me online all the time, how can I learn to play this style of music that you play? And it's such a hybrid style that it's hard to talk about. However, when people ask me to explain a particular thing, I make a little five minute YouTube video of it and I post it. And so if you are interested and you like the style and there's a particular thing you want to know, I'm an open book. I believe in sharing everything except my wife. And I, <laughs> and, and they can, uh, I, I, I did a couple of little videos already on things like as far as if you want to know how to play a particular song, I can do that. But m- I'm more like to show people techniques and things, not like other people haven't uh, done the same thing on YouTube. There's so much of that stuff. But if somebody wants to know something specific, I'm happy to go sit there with my iPad and make a little video and show them how to do it. And uh, no charge. It's uh, it's wow. my pleasure to kind of contribute to the music community. Yeah, I saw some of those videos that you do have posted, and I and I did think that that was very generous that you're putting those kind of tips out there for free. And, and God bless you. I, I'm just last week we had Danny Brooks on the show and he was very forthcoming with a lot of helpful information. And I asked him, you know, why, why is that? That it's such a rare thing. And he just kind of looked at me, he was here in the studio, you know, like, like, why wouldn't I? And unfortunately we see so many musicians nowadays that everybody is about competition instead of collaboration. So it's very refreshing to hear people like yourself and and last week, Danny Brooks uh, being willing to, to help people out. Um, we're going to close today with a song of yours called Black Emerald. Before we let you go, David, tell the listeners all about this song, if you would, please. Uh, we, um, we go to the Azores once in a while as a, you have to go that far away to, uh, to get time sometimes. (laughs) And it's little islands about 1100 miles off the coast of Portugal. And, uh, we have friends that have a, uh, like a, 400 year old house there. And if you sit on the beaches in uh, San Miguel, they're black. The the sand is black and it'll burn your feet. But if you lift up the sand in your hands and you look at it, it's, it's hundreds of thousands and millions of little low grade emeralds that make up the sand. It's volcanic islands Mm. and still active volcanoes there. And I was sitting on the beach one there, one day there, and there was little babies around me. My son was a baby and our friend's a little girl. And I'm looking at this volcano out in the water, and I'm looking at the black emeralds on the sand and the winds blowing in, and, and I'm thinking of the pirate ships and the old sailors who used to use that as a port of call and still do. And that song is in the, the – it's in 12. It's a kind of a flamenco-y kind of um, you know, tonality and, and a sonority, but it's in a 12, and it feels like waves. It's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, shpoosh, waves breaking on the mm. rocks. And I wrote that song to try to give you the feeling of waves breaking on the rocks. And it's kind of a long song, but it's, uh, it, it, if you close your eyes and, um, right after I finished the song, our friend, uh, Ava, who was my, um, my son's godmother passed away. And, uh, 
we made it to Black Emerald Ava's journey, and it just made me think of her and her encouragement and and musical, beautiful kind of thing. And so that's what the song's about. It's about kind of going like a soul going along on the waves, and and uh, it kind of puts you there in that spot. And that's what that song's about. All right, very good. Well, David, I really enjoyed the conversation. Very, very interesting. And and thank you so much for making the time to come on. I really do appreciate it. The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for asking me to be on. You bet. That will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to songwriter and guitarist David Fader. Do check out his website at www.davidfader.com. As you've been hearing, there's a lot there, including contacting him about lessons, and then also engage with him on YouTube, Facebook, Reverb Nation. Purchase his music. It's on iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon. Be sure to watch his website also for where and when he'll be performing live. And again, check out the website for the nonprofit that he spoke about. That address is www.keysice.com, K-E-Y-S-I-C-E keysice.com. Don't forget to visit www.nhte.net and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. Give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio too, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating. That really does help the show a lot. If you are listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and share, they call it repost, episodes there, and you can also follow on SoundCloud. Let's get your feedback on the show, too. Post your comments or questions on the Now Hear This Facebook page. There are links to it and Twitter and even the Now Hear This official YouTube channel on nhte.net. Plus, there's a link there to this show on Instagram. Or send us an email. The email address is on the contact page of nhte.net. We have been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida, Check them out online on their website at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in crystal blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with another song by David Fader. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Black Emerald.